Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host for this one, John Siegley, filling in for Tommy Ashley, who is very much under the weather tonight. So I'm filling in his shoes, and I am talking to Ross Martin and Greg Barnes tonight. Going to be going over some UNC hoops action. Ross, Greg, how are you guys doing tonight, first and foremost? <clears throat> Good, John. Yeah, good, John. Thanks for uh, hosting us this evening. Coming in. Yep. You know, when you get the call off the bench, you got to be ready, just like That's Blue right. Steel. So I'm here. So, you know, let's uh, let's kind of begin this a, a little bit lighthearted, but I'm curious to, to get y'all's thoughts on this. Greg, starting with you, that three-point shot that was waved off on Kobe White. Right call, wrong call. What did you see, man? Yeah, after looking at it again, I think it was probably the right call. But but the interesting thing about that particular play uh, is that it was a mad scramble, a lot of hustle. Kobe obviously did not realize what was happening with the shot clock. Uh, but several players after the game, Garrison Brooks being the primary one, really pointed to that play as kind of a game changer in that that really flipped momentum to Virginia, uh, which I get, but at the same time, it's a very uh, random play. Uh, a long desperation shot that went in uh, and, and for guys to kind of hang their hat on that as a turning point just speaks to how things kind of crumbled there at the end. And uh, it was kind of a wild couple seconds there, but I, I do think the, uh, the officials got the right call there. Ross, what, what, what do you think after seeing the replays and having some time to digest it there? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely very, very close. I think they got it right, but to kind of add to what, Greg said what some of the players said about it being a turning point. I think that combined with kind of when Cameron Johnson went out, I don't have the exact time of that, but that seemed to kind of when the momentum changed because UNC had that lead with about eight minutes to go. And from that point on, it was a big run by Virginia. And so combining that shot, which would have put UNC up three, I believe, I think it was tied at that point. Uh, combine that with Cameron Johnson going out for three minutes or so. And that's kind of where, things change for UNC and it just felt like the air had gone out of the arena and, and Virginia took over and uh, Kyle Guy hit those two threes late. I think it yeah, that, that actually, John, I was going to say that, that when, when Cam went out, when he got hurt was when Virginia was down 55, 52, they get mm-hmm. the ball back up the court and that's when Jerome hit the three to tie it was when Cam Johnson was on the other end. So it was a five on four. And he was ready to check out of the game. So that's that's when that transpired. I think the three, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Carolina up by two? And that would have put them up by five? I just remember Carolina having a lead when they waved that one off. I can't, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to think. But yeah, trying to, trying doesn't to matter too much. Yeah. yeah, it really does. I mean, it was just kind of a, fru- uh, a fluke play. And I think, I definitely agree with you guys that, you know, to hinge so much important on uh, importance on that is kind of surprising, especially from some Carolina players that have been in the program for a couple of years. But let me kind of throw something out there to you guys, because when I was watching this game going into it, I honestly thought that Virginia was going to win and probably win handily, just given the nature of the matchups and how Tony Bennett, Bennett's system is almost designed to really take away the strengths of, of Roy Williams. But 
Carolina went up by seven late in that second half after being down at halftime by seven. So, I mean, Ross, am I wrong to think that there were actually some, you know, take away, some positive takeaways as to how the heels are able to really claw back when I personally gave them zero chance of even having a shot in this one at halftime. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think you, I think you're onto something there. I agree that they definitely showed fight. This wasn't, it didn't feel like previous Virginia games, especially the last two years in Charlottesville where it seemed like UNC didn't have a shot and that Virginia was kind of dominating the Tar Heels in, in every aspect of the game. UNC was able to score a little bit. They were able to get some stops. They controlled the boards. They were, I think they uh, had a 12-point margin on the boards. They took that seven-point lead in the second half, which shows the grit to fight back, You know, being down, I think, at, at times double digits in the first half. So I think there are some things to definitely take away that are positives that they can build on. I think they showed that they are, you know, within – they they can beat – UVA and that's what a lot of the players said in the post game that you know this is a team we can beat we prove we can kind of play with them you know a couple things go I think Roy even coach Williams mentioned this you know if that shot goes in or if the in the first half that shot clock violation or it was a yeah it was a shot clock violation that Kobe picked up and and took it to score if that would have uh, counted instead of they called a dead ball you know there's a couple plays here and there um, if they go all the way, you know, UNC's right there at the end and, and can make a shot here or there and, and they can win. So you can always kind of live with those. Um, you can always think about the what ifs there. You know, if my uh, if my aunt had a blank, she'd be my uncle type deal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you're on something there. I think it wasn't the domination we've seen in previous regular season battles the last couple of years. Yeah, I would kind of disagree, guys. I mean, just with with regard to the fact that I think Virginia is what Virginia is. Um, We we know what to expect out of that group, right? I mean, we know what Jack Salt is going to bring to the table. We know what Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy are going to bring to the table. Uh, DeAndre Hunter is really the guy that I think continues to blossom, and that's the guy that's going to play at the next level. Uh, But – I don't know that this Virginia team is going to be a lot better a month from now. Whereas when you talk about teams like Duke and and Carolina, uh, I think those teams have room to to grow. And when you look at this North Carolina game, uh, this North Carolina team, you're playing in this game. In the first half, what did Virginia do? Right, They turned North Carolina into a jump-shooting team. And while North Carolina has had success at times doing that, we've talked a lot about that Gonzaga game, and North Carolina was you know, four of six to start, and that, that leads to part of the problem. But once you have to rely on the jump shot, you're not going to have a lot of success. So what did North Carolina do in the second half? Well, when they had that 17-3 run, they got back to basics. They dominated uh, the, the boards, right? I mean, they, they had a, what was it, um, 16-3 edge on offensive glass, 15-2 edge and second-chance points. That's what Carolina does best. And then they were able to force tempo just a little bit during that stretch by getting some defensive stops. And so by combining, forcing tempo, and dominating the boards, they were at that stretch of time a much better team than Virginia. And at the end of the day, while, yes, Virginia won by eight and they closed the game on a 21-6 run, Virginia shot 53% to UNC shooting 35%. There was no reason for North Carolina to even be in the game when you have that type of differential. But yet North Carolina in the final minutes had plays 
uh, that would have given them opportunities to win the game. And as we've talked about a lot before, when this team shoots 45% or better, they're undefeated, uh, and they've had some pretty impressive wins when they shoot at least 45%. And that's because of their ability to dominate the glass. That's because of their ability to force tempo and create turnovers. We don't expect this team to be a lockdown defensive team in terms of field goal percentage defense. That's not who they are. But they can be active in the passing lanes. They can use their length to disrupt teams, uh, to make them start their, their offense further out on the court than they want, and to create turnovers. And when they do all those things, they're very good. Um, but when they, when they struggle so much offensively, which is what Virginia kind of makes you do, then you get into this problem. So I think the fact that there's such a differential in field goal percentages, but yet Carolina was in this game really until the you know, last minute or so, I think those are reasons to say, hey, you know, North Carolina should have won this game. North Carolina collapsed late. They didn't do what they needed to do. Virginia was flawless on the other hand, and it's very similar to that game on Saturday. Miami just kind of fell apart late. North Carolina took over and made all the plays they needed to make. Uh, and that, that's kind of what separated those teams in, in both games. So, so, Greg, aren't you kind of agreeing with us? That there's a lot of positives that, to come through kind of moral victory-wise that they're, you, know, you make a couple more shots, the, the free throw, the field goal percentage is a little bit higher, and UNC can win this game, that they can easily well, I, win this team if they shoot better? Yeah, I certainly agree with that. I was just talking about it in terms of you know, the, the idea that North Carolina didn't have a shot of winning this game, even at halftime. I mean, North Carolina was down seven at halftime, and you're like, holy cow, North Carolina played about as bad as they can play, and yet they're within striking distance. And then when things started to go their way, like, all right, well, here, here you go. This North Carolina seems to be the better team when everything's clicking. Yeah. Uh, and so that that's kind of the that's kind of my point is I thought, and I still think now that North Carolina is the better team. Uh, but Virginia, I mean, give them a ton of credit. Tony Bennett's an excellent coach. They executed late where North Carolina clearly did not. Hit shots when they needed hit shots, and UNC did it. Well, Ross, it, when it comes to, to hitting shots, just from my obviously untrained eye, Virginia was able to knock down their wide open threes because they shot 11 for 20, uh, 11 for 20, yeah, 55%. But I swear that out of those 20 shots, at least 13, 14 of them were either wide open or lightly contested. So what did you see about the heels ability or non-ability in this case to really contest those Virginia shooters? Yeah, they run so many screens that they, they know how to get their guys open. Uh, their main shooters, you know, being guy five for, for nine and, and Hunter was three for three from the, from three point range as well. And, you know, you run your guys through so many screens and you're gonna you're gonna have the open opportunities, and, and I think Kenny Williams wore down uh, in the second half, allowing for some easier looks for UVA. Kenny Williams played 38 minutes, which was the most of any player in the whole game. Kobe White played 37. Um, so you're obviously gonna have some fatigue issues, especially going through all those screens, the the, the type of wear you down offense that Virginia plays, and they force you to defend you for they force the opposition to defend for you know 28 20, <clears throat> 29 seconds every possession and that's different so you're you're you know players like kobe who haven't faced virginia maybe not prepared for that kind of you know determination throughout the whole shot clock and that happening every possession 
And that's, you know, one of the main reasons they got some open looks in the second half and knocked them down. Um, and, and obviously UNC had, didn't have as, as easy of looks and, and missed them. So I think that's definitely one reason Greg may have a, a little bit more in-depth analysis of, of why UVA had the better offense uh, on, on Monday night. No, I, and I hate to be this guy because I, I'm not a fan of uh, criticizing officials. I kind of think that uh, calls balance out over the course of a, a game and over the course of a season. And it, it's kind of a fool's gold thing to, to blame officials. It sounds like a you know, NC State kind of thing to do. But um, <laughs> a couple of pet peeves of mine with, with regard to officiating, especially at the college level. Number one, when guys are blatantly carrying the ball, call it. I, I hate that. That drives me insane. That's not specific to this game, but that's that's one of my pet peeves. Never, you never one, see that called, though. You never see that Never. Call. And it's yeah. so incredibly blatant. I mean, guys have their hand underneath the ball and just blow the whistle. But the other thing is, since you know, we know at the NBA level, it's, it's all a screen game. I mean, that's, that's ball screen, ball screen, ball screen. But at the college level, a lot of teams have started using that, which is fine. And against the team that plays man defense, like North Carolina, a lot of teams are going to do it. We see it all the time. But if you're going to set a screen, let it be a legal screen. Uh, Virginia does a great job with their flare screens. They do a great job with their, their double screens, and they do the elevator screen occasionally. But there are too many times when guys are, are circling around down there at the post where that screener is moving. You've got to call that. Uh, that's the pet peeve of mine. I mean, either either call it or or you say, you know what, we're going to allow this kind of thing to happen. But don't don't allow guys to be moving when they make contact with the defensive player, um, because several of those threes that Virginia got was because of that. And not to say North Carolina doesn't benefit from those same same types of things that they do at times. Uh, but in that game in particular, there was a number of plays where you watch, and you're like, wow, that's that's a moving screen. You can't do that. Um, but that kind of goes back to the, the point of you know, North Carolina playing defense the way they do. Teams love the ball screen against them. And a team like Virginia that, as I said, uses the flare screens and, and the down screens and all those types of things, um, North Carolina has got to be better guarding that, that screen. They've got to get around it better. They've got to hedge better. Uh, when they switch, they've got to switch better. And I mean, the, the Kyle guy three, when North Carolina was up seven, the reason he got an open look from the left of the key is because Luke May had switched on the Ty Jerome on the right side. And so because Jerome was trying to drive off Luke May, Kenny Williams slid down into the paint to help. And Jerome kicked out the guy who had plenty of room to take a shot, hit the three, and from there, everything switched into Virginia's favor. Um, and so those are the types of things that, that really kind of led to North Carolina kind of falling apart. But call the moving screen. Just just be consistent with it. Call it a few times. Teams will stop doing it, and we won't have to talk about it anymore. Well, let me ask you guys about this aspect of the game as well, Is especially in that first half. Virginia had what it looked like a lot of success just driving into the paint and then dropping the ball off to their big men for – just dunks, layups, all sorts of things on the inside. 
you know, is that something that you think more teams will try to emulate as they attack Carolina, especially when you have that, that Luke May um, at the four? You know, I mean, Luke, he does move his feet reasonably well, but he is at, at a little bit of a disadvantage sometimes. Ross, is that, is that something that you think more teams will really try to hone in on as we get to crunch time here in ACC play? I mean, I think the lack of a, a really tall, athletic post defender has been a, a, a glaring weakness for this team uh, going back to last year. Um, especially, I mean, Virginia had you know, Hunter is a tall, athletic guy. Decate, is that how you pronounce it? Is a, is a tall, athletic guy. And, and, you know, he blocked four shots uh, and, and had a couple of baskets down low for, U, for UVA. So I think that's something um, that certainly teams will look to because. You know, Johnson and, I mean, even Brooks might be the tallest player. Sorry, Johnson may be the tallest player on UNC's team. I mean, Brooks and May are both 6'8", 6'9", or May is not 6'9", but they're all below 6'9". And uh, it, it's it's definitely a different type of team physically for Roy Williams. And we've talked about it all along um, this season and some last season as well. So when, with a, when a team can get open looks down low, there isn't like a guy – there to to step up and block a shot and, and teams with really tall athletic players can kind of have their way if they have some space down low to score. Yeah, Ross is exactly right. If if you look at what North Carolina has done this year, they're allowing teams to shoot 48% from two-point range, which is the highest Roy Williams team has allowed since his first year at UNC back in 0304. Uh, and the reason why is just like Ross said, North Carolina does not have a legitimate rim protector. And so what do teams do? They're not worried about getting into the paint. You know, if John Henson or Bryce Johnson are down there, then a guard may think twice about getting into the paint because all of a sudden your shot's at risk. But now you get to the get into the paint, and if North Carolina helps, which they have to because they don't have that shot protector, um, then you've got two guys coming over at you, and at that point there's no need to shoot because you can just dump it off. And we've seen that a lot this year, and that's you. Roy talks a lot about uh, guarding the ball, right? So ball screens is, the, is one way to disrupt that, but also dribble penetration is the other part of it. And that's one reason North Carolina's had a lot of struggles with Kentucky over the years is, you know, Kentucky's offense is, is based on that dribble drive um, to, to kind of break a guy down and, and ISO or even off a ball screen and get into the paint. And if you don't have a shot blocker there at the rim, then the defense has to react. And Roy Williams, you know, that's, he works from the inside out. You, you want to take away the easy shot. So, of course, when you're at the rim, guys are going to help, right? And so we see a lot of times where it, where it becomes obvious is when those, those passes are out to the perimeter. They're kickouts for open threes. But to your point, John, a lot of times when, when the guy driving is smart and heady and knows what he's doing, well, maybe you don't kick out. Maybe you just dump off to a guy underneath the basket who can dunk it or just lay it in without any contest. And so um, without having the, the big guy down low, that's a significant problem. It has been all year. It will continue to be. And that's one of the major concerns for North Carolina as it enters the NCAA tournament. It's all about matchups. And we, we saw it last year in the NCAA tournament. And it's going to be an issue yet again, regardless of what seed they may end up being. All right, guys, let's take a very quick commercial break. And when we get back, let's continue this discussion. feel like it's been a good one so far. So everyone listening in, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. 
And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Ross Martin and Greg Barnes talking UNC basketball. So just before we went to break, Greg, you were talking about the the uh, the big men. Uh, Ross, you had chimed in on that as well. Let me throw through this one to you guys. It is Sterling Manley, if he is able to get back healthy, do you think that he could have an impact this season or is it almost too little too late for him? Ross, what what? kind of the scoop there on manly and what are your thoughts in general <laughs> i don't have much scoop um he wasn't playing too much um before his injury and that might have been maybe because of injury so maybe he comes back healthier and, and more mobile and, and can do some good things um but it's gonna be tough to, to get back in shape i know he is warming up with the teams during games he hasn't gone full court in practices yet but he, he seems like he's maybe a weekend to practicing half court now but I don't, I don't think he can make a huge, huge, you know, team-changing impact. But with Nasir Little now out, we don't know anything about that injury other than it's a sprain, and that's exactly what Leaky Black had. You know, there are there are some minutes that that players need to come in and grab. Um, you saw Nasir Little improve some with the extra minutes he got with with Manley out. But now, you know, now it's like kind of having some depth issues if, if those three guys can't go. So, you know, I think Manley could come in and play 10 minutes and give guys a breather. But I don't know if he can come in and be a substantial force that's going to change the outlook of this team. Yeah, I think the primary issue is that Manley is still dealing with conditioning issues. Um, he'd made strides for sure. But now that he's been sidelined for, for six weeks, and like Ross said, I mean, he's not even – to our knowledge, he's not even back to, to full court stuff quite yet. Um, I think that's going to be the, the number one hindrance for him um, is they're going to have to make sure that he can he can run up and down the court. And so you know, maybe you know, 10 minutes may be optimistic for the first week or two when he actually is able to get back. And I think the fact that um, Sterling, I think he has a ton of potential. I mean, he's got a great body, uh, good length. He's got some good skills. I still think he's you know a year or so away from really being able to contribute. Um, so so maybe you, his best asset may be able to come in and, and spell Garrison if Garrison gets into foul trouble, or just to give them an extra body if they need it. Uh, but in terms of I think him making a significant con contribution this year, I think probably is is probably is asking a little too much. So like you said, maybe a, a little too late for for him to be able to step in, but. You never know. Maybe maybe he's gotten the rest and he's um, and he's going to be ready to go once he is cleared, and uh, maybe he can maybe he can surprise us. All right, let's talk about Carolina's two seniors, Kenny Williams and Luke May. And starting with Luke May, I was going back and pulling up some of his box scores. And you know, against Louisville, Luke had twenty points. Against NC State, he exploded with thirty-one points. Against Miami, 20 points again. But then against Virginia, guys, you know, Luke had just a bad game, arguably his worst of the entire year, only four points. And he took some very tough con- contested shots. Now, I don't think that this is really indicative of like a downward trend, especially given that in the three games prior to this, he was averaging over 20 points a game. But, you know, Greg, what can you really throw out there as an explanation for, you know, for Luke? I mean, was it just, just a traditional bad game. And it's kind of surprising when that happens now, considering that how he's been the, the definition of consistency really um, as he's developed and over his junior and senior years. Well, I think the fact that the Virginia plays defense the way it does um, 
doesn't lend to Luke having a, a very good game against them. Um, you know, they, they really kind of pack things down inside. They do a great job closing out on the perimeter. Uh, but they were the first, I think it was the first play of the game. He gets the ball in the post. What do they do immediately? They, they double team him. And I think that's just a very tough situation for Luke, who is a stretch four. You know, he, he's best when he can kind of pull his guy out from, from the paint. He can drive a little bit. Um, he can clean up some, some uh, rebounds and score some points that way underneath. That's how he typically does his damage. Um, but, I, but I think when, when teams really key in on him, especially great teams, I mean, just give Virginia credit. I mean, that's, that's arguably the best defensive team in the country, if not you know, for sure one of the top five in the country. Um, and so I don't think you can take too much away from that particular game. Uh, but I think the other fact of it is, is that he's being asked to play the five a lot. And I know a lot of people say, oh, we got to get Nasir on the court and they can have that small lineup. I don't think that suits Luke very well. Um, and I think it's very tough for him on both ends of the court. Um, and so I, I think that that's him um, trying to help out the team as best as he can do, even though he is, he is best when he can, he can kind of thrive in that stretch for a role. Um, and so with teams you really understanding that, look, if we take away Luke May, all of a sudden North Carolina very quickly becomes a jump shooting team. And I think you're going to see a lot more teams do that down the stretch. We've already seen it happen quite a bit. Um, and I, I think that's just kind of where we're at. And so, yes, some of his numbers have not been what we thought they would be. But uh, you know, Adrian Atkinson had a, had a good stat. Uh, I was trying to find it. Uh, and I, I can't now, but some to the extent of, you know, when he's having to play the five recently, um, I don't think his numbers are quite as good. So it makes it, it makes it tough on him. His numbers do look worse than we're accustomed to seeing them. But you, when you prove that you're one of the, the best players in the league, everybody's going to key on you. If you don't have a lot of help down low, it makes it that much more difficult. All right, Ross, let me go to you for Carolina's other senior player, Kenny Williams. Kenny also struggled very much against the Cavaliers. And overall, I think it's fair to say that his play has been much more erratic than what most Carolina fans expected of him. Personally, I just think that he just wore down. I mean, I think you and Greg both made that point earlier. Is there any reason to kind of worry about Kenny as Carolina does look to close out the rest of their ACC regular season schedule? Well, I think he has kind of leveled out in terms of he's become kind of consistently, you know, offensively mediocre. Uh, he had nine points on Monday night against UVA. That's, you know, that's kind of what we've come to expect from him. He hit those two threes early and finished with three threes, three for seven, which is, which is great. You kind of like to see that, but uh, that's all he hit. He didn't get anything else, nothing in transition. Um, no other type shots. He was three for 10 from the field, four rebounds, five assists. He, he's kind of become one of UNC's best passers, uh, kind of adopting that Theo Pinson role um, and had three fouls, zero turnovers in 38 minutes. I think wearing out, you didn't see him do much af- offensively after those first threes. I think wearing out is a, isn't easy and, and probably the correct excuse there. Um, but I mean, in general, you know, UNC players and the UNC team in general is not going to score a lot against Virginia. It was the lowest point total of the season. I think it was the second lowest shooting percentage. Um, Not many players had good games. I mean, 
uh, Kobe White led the way for UNC with 17 points, but he was six for 19 from the field. So no one was shooting a good percentage, and I think Williams just kind of just looped into that. It was just a tough game. It's going to be tough to score against Virginia anyway. Um, and I think just down the stretch, UNC didn't execute, and, and that falls on May and Williams and Kobe White and Cameron Johnson. All those guys were to, are to blame with uh, kind of the, the, the inability to get clean, good looks in the last uh, three or four minutes. All right, Russ, let me stick with you for kind of our final question here for the podcast. If Nasir Little has to miss a significant amount of time, what player do you think must step up in order to fill in for those minutes? Yeah, I mean, I think Robinson is kind of the guy you're going to turn to. Um, He's a very different player than Nasir Little. Uh, Definitely probably has uh, probably 50 pounds difference there. But uh, I thought Robinson had some great plays against Virginia. He comes in. I think he drew an offensive foul. I think he got a turnover, a loose ball turnover. He hit a three. And that's kind of what you get from him. You get about six points, a couple shots, a couple rebounds, uh, maybe an offensive foul and an assist or two. I think Roy trusts him um, coming in and, and relieving Johnson and Williams. And I think Garrison Brooks is really coming to his own. Um, 12 points last night eight rebounds, uh, three assists. You know, he's been very solid. Uh, he's the best descriptor for him. All season, he's kind of been around that eight to 12-point range and you know five to eight rebounds per game. And he'll get more time as well because, you know, uh, Little played a little bit of the uh, four and five and a little bit of the, the two and three as well. So those are the guys. But beyond that, I mean, just more time from the seniors. I think that's where you really need to see a little. I think UNC could – they could handle the loss of Leaky Black. But I think with Black and Little out, uh, they're going to – you're going to see – that's going to affect the team a lot more. Those are two players that, you know, can give some solid minutes, can contribute different ways offensively and defensively. Um, and I think I think Little – you know, is a great defensive option for UNC against Duke. And they might not, may not have him for the first matchup. All right, Greg, same question to you, and then we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Well, I think all you need to, to do is look at the box score from the, the game against Virginia. Um, North Carolina had six guys uh, log 192 of the possible 200 minutes. And that's not a Roy Williams recipe by any stretch. That's not what he wants to do. Um, but fortunately, you have Brandon Robinson, who has started playing better, so that when, when Nasir uh, got hurt, Robinson can, can slide in and, and provide those minutes. Although, like Ross said, he doesn't have the, the same size, and therefore you, you, Nasir has the body to match up with DeAndre Hunter, although Robinson is probably more skilled defensively than Nasir is. So, uh, there's a little give and take there. But I mean Seventh Woods, you're three minutes and all those minutes were in the first half. And so that I think that speaks volumes about Kobe White and, and kind of the, the pressure is going to be on him the rest of the way, because he is going to have to play a lot of minutes. And if Brandon Robinson's having to slot in for for Nasir uh and and you know, Cam there at the three, well guess what? Kenny Williams is going to have to play a ton. Charlie Manley's not playing well, Garrison Brooks has got to log a lot of minutes, even if North Carolina would like to go small. So it really has become a, a, an issue of depth. And you would hope that Nasir will be back uh, quick, you know, quicker than, than Black's injury set him up for. You know, Leakey had that high ankle sprain and, 
Uh, he's he's slowly working his way back. But uh, we had talked about, you know, when Leakey got hurt, the primary issue with his absence is that he could play so many different roles. You know, he could be your backup point guard. He could be a, a wing option. You know, if you needed to go super small, you could get creative and really play him wherever you wanted to. Um, and so that's that's kind of the dynamic there. Um, I agree with Ross that against a team like Duke, Nasir is valuable. I don't know how much Nasir would have helped against Virginia. I think that's just a, a difficult game for him and his style of play. Um, but against Duke, which is going to be more up and down the court, uh, not quite as um, uh, organized, I guess you would say, as a Virginia game is, um, I think that suits him a little bit better. And so North Carolina would benefit greatly by having him on the court. Uh, but we're we're now you know almost a, a week away from that game, so North Carolina needs him to heal up pretty quick. Absolutely. All right, Ross. Any final thoughts before we go ahead and end this one, man? That's about it. Well, I mean, one thing I was coming to mind is watching the McDonald's All American game last year and how Nasir Little dominated Zion. And it, I always think about that. I was like, man, maybe Nasir Little can be the answer, and he'll he'll limit Zion Williamson. But I, I don't know if if basing. Uh, what UNC can do against Zion. I don't know if I should be referring to a McDonald's All-American game, but that's about it. Yeah, I don't know. It, it really is surprising, Ross, you know, because a lot of Carolina fans watched that game. Everyone was very, very excited about the fact that, that Nas did um, best Zion in that, but I think it's fair to say that their college careers so far have gone in a little bit different directions. I mean, Duke's going to be a tough matchup regardless, but um, as Greg mentioned earlier, I really hope that Zion does heal quick, that he is able to to play in that one. Um, but I think we can go ahead and wrap this one up. So, guys, thanks again. Hope that you have a good night. For everyone listening in here at Inside Carolina, we thank you, and we'll talk with everyone again soon. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.